0: .com/lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: now in baseball and basketball and hockey where you often have 5 and 7 game playoff series you have a safety net that protects against the fluke and so the better team will usually win out the truly great summon their greatness when the stakes are highest i love playoffs i love that second bite at the apple i love that the pressure is ratcheted up i love that the unpredictable can happen Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about playoffs uh, in our Mossy Makes a Case segment. Mossy's going to be talking about the gap between European international play and the rest of the world. Uh, In our Ask Alexi segment, we'll be talking about Manchester United. uh, And in our Back 3, we'll be talking about the U.S. Men's National Team and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a uh, soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday morning? I am
2: good. Back in L.A. after a fun weekend. Fun weekend?
1: Yes. Oh, really? Do tell. Are you familiar with a guy named Eric Winalda? I've heard of him, yes. Former U.S. international... Legend, great goal-scoring machine, and former colleague here at Fox, and now, if I'm not mistaken, the head coach over there at the Las Vegas Lights, right? Correct. On Saturday,
2: Ian Joy and I drove to Las Vegas. To <laughs> it's like swingers. Look at you. You went to Vegas? Yes, to attend the Las Vegas Lights' last home game of the season.
1: Vegas baby all right
2: we stayed at the Venetian and uh, I was dealt a very pleasant surprise when I arrived I had gotten a normal size room mm-hmm. but I was upgraded to one of their nicest suites uh, stayed in a well palace, they know a high basically. roller when they see it coming yes. right
1: a big fish what do they call it That's uh, right. you know oh, a whale
2: the whale is in okay uh, but it was uh, it was a great experience Eric could not have been a better host we met up with him a couple hours before the game he introduced us to everybody uh, took us uh, onto the field during warm-ups uh, then after the game met up with us again we hung out with him and his lovely family so great experience all the way around great to reconnect with him
1: fun times uh what was the score uh, they lost two nil he's he's fighting for that playoff spot right now right uh, is that what's happening
2: i think that fight that's is it the fight, the fight is done
1: <laughs> yes uh but you had a good time did you gamble uh no i am not a gambler at all <laughs> so well they didn't see the whale coming in yes yeah, no. they just gave you a nice room that's did right you yeah. eat well? There's always good food in Vegas.
2: I did eat well, yeah. Um, nice restaurant at the Venetian. You've been to Vegas before, right? Uh, this was my third time. Oh, okay. All
1: right. Well, you should try gambling. I'm going to throw a little bit on there just to you know, live it up. Have you, have you ever gambled? Have you ever done blackjack? or
2: Definitely not that type of gambling. Uh, I have, in my previous visits to Vegas, uh, made some sports bets, but I didn't even do that this time. Ah, okay. So okay. Got
1: it. I was in... Where was I? D.C. We'll talk more about the, uh, the actual game uh, that I was there for U.S. against mighty cuba but uh i am passing you once again good wishes and salutations from the people of dc more than once while walking on the street people came up to me and wanted me to specifically say hello to mossy okay so your 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 name and your character and your personality precede you when it comes to the i can't tell you the amount of people that come up to me and 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 mention the, the the podcast specifically but there were a couple including this one gentleman who was adamant that I make sure I tell you hello and how much he likes you uh, on the uh, on the pod. I mean, he's just basing it off the pod, so we, we know that that can be dangerous. But from him to you, he was he was. I feel like after I talked to him, I felt like there was a part of me that felt we're not giving you your due. Are you getting your due? If anybody out there is under the impression that David Mossy doesn't do anything uh, uh, or is a, a second fiddle or anything like that, let me put that to rest. This is, David is, and is has been and continues to be incredible. But he, I, he felt like it was important that I tell you how important you are and how much you mean to the people that are listening out there.
2: Uh, no, I, I really, really appreciate that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm uh, trying to get better at this, relatively new at it. But uh, if somebody out there is enjoying it, you thought I was going to make some snarky comment, but I, I did. I, I, I was, well, I was I, hoping for some snarky I decided snarky to comment. actually have a real human reaction to that. Well, we, is, there's none of
1: that here. We have none oh. of that. Uh, it, you know, any type of real human interaction or reaction is expressly forbidden in any type of podcast uh, or, or let alone 2019 uh, world. But I'll let it slide for this time. I go back to the robotic self that we, we know and trust. All right, Musty, anything else? Nope. All right, should we light this candle? Yep. All right, as you know, uh, each and every time, we kick off the pod with... Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. It's MLS playoff season, that time of the year when we debate the fairness and even the need for that traditional American system that provides a second bite at the apple. Now, MLS has always had playoffs, but they've been in a decades-long search for the right playoff formula. Almost every year, there have been changes and tweaks, big and small, and this year is no different. The 2019 playoffs have been condensed, with MLS Cup happening November 10th. Now, that's almost a full month earlier than 2018, when MLS Cup was played on December 8th. Another change this season is win or go home. Single game elimination hosted by the higher seed. All of this is designed to increase the stakes, reward more for regular season success, and finish the playoffs before that November FIFA international break that in the past has zapped momentum and attention. Now in baseball and basketball and hockey, where you often have five and seven game playoff series, you have a safety net that protects against the fluke, and so the better team will usually win out. But the margin of error in a one-game playoff scenario is much smaller. If you have an off day for whatever reason, well, you're going home. It may be cruel, but it's not unfair. The truly great summon their greatness when the stakes are highest. I love playoffs. I love that second bite at the apple. I love that the pressure is ratcheted up. I love that the unpredictable can happen. I don't think playoffs devalue or diminish the past. I actually think they provide a unique and priceless new hope and drama for the future. All right, Mossy, so that is uh, my State of the Union for this week. Uh, when it comes to playoffs, and we'll broaden it out, not just to, to playoffs when it comes to MLS, playoffs in general, but are you, are you a fan? I think I've, uh, I've heard this before from, uh, from you, is that you do, you do like playoffs, even though I think both of us can recognize and respect and enjoy the fact that there are leagues out there that don't have playoffs. Are you a fan in general of sports playoffs?
2: With regards to MLS, I actually am against them. Um, Wow, really? Yeah, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I just think there's such a randomness to an individual soccer game that uh, I I like uh, the way the rest of the world does it, where you have these knockout competitions parallel to your league that give you that element of... Unpredictability and Cinderella runs, but you do want to have some competition that crowns the best team in your country. And I think MLS, the way it's structured, uh, you run the risk of not necessarily acknowledging who was the best team. But why in don't you say that when it know? comes
1: to the NFL or the NCAA with your beloved Wolverines if they are even lucky enough to get into the, uh, the <laughs> tournament?
2: Yeah, like I said, I just think in soccer there's a greater why is soccer different. Eh, lower scoring, a bounce here, a bounce there can can completely change a game to a greater degree than I think it can in these other
1: sports. You think soccer is, luck is much more a part of soccer than other sports. I do. Really? Yes. So, why the hell do we sit here and rack our brains and talk about tactics and X's and O's and stuff like that if it's just left up to the whims of the soccer gods up there and they're the ones that are really going to decide this anyway? Why should we have coaches? Why should we have positions? Just go out there, throw the ball out, and then what happens, happens.
2: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Um, but I, I do want to get into the schedule Yes. Uh, okay. because it was tricky for them with the October and November FIFA dates. And I actually think they came up with the least bad solution. But there is this awkward gap between the regular season and the playoffs. A club like LAFC, which has a first-round bye, will go 17 days between their final regular season game and their first playoff game. Is that too much? Does that run the risk of disrupting the rhythm? Can't have both ways.
1: All right. All I've heard about for the last couple of decades, well, at least the last decade, is player fatigue. Ah, oh, too many games. Everybody's so tired. How is it possible? Oh, I can't function. we got to rotate and all that all that kind of stuff. And then when you actually have some time to rest, oh, it's too long. We're going to get out of shape and all that kind of stuff. No. You're saying that LAFC is actually put in a, a negative position by doing so well and therefore getting this two weeks.
2: In effect, yeah, because it is an awkward gap, longer than they've had between two games at any point this season. Everybody so. heals
1: up. Heals yeah, that's not is, like they're going to forget how to play. That is the or-
2: positive spin. Some of the coaches have come out and said, well, it's a longer time for injuries to heal and all that. So yeah, I guess it, it cuts both ways.
1: It does. And now, now keep in mind, and I mentioned in the State of the Union that MLS in particular has gone all over the the map when it comes to you know trying to find the best possible way, and you can't get around the fact that there is this FIFA this FIFA date there, and because of the fact that MLS doesn't play on a traditional I'm just quoting traditional type of schedule, you're going to have to go through that. Back when I played, um, we when we went to MLS cups, they were in November, so it's kind of come full circle that we come back uh, to to November, and you know what this does, as we said, it does avoid that. That problem in the middle of the playoffs happening, but as you mentioned, it's happening right before the playoffs started. You do enjoy watching playoffs when it comes to other sports, though, right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, when your footballs and your uh, and your and your baseballs. If you were in charge of MLS, you would just say, just crown a winner like uh, most leagues do, league title, and then you're done with
2: it. LAFC would have already clinched the title. the eyes. fun in that?
1: Why are you so <laughs> Why are you so boring? What's the problem? Why I don't understand why you're so—it's just all about fairness in, 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 in when you're looking at it.
2: Yeah, like I said, with MLS, when you already have uh, everything geared towards parity and leveling out the playing field in terms of the salary cap and all the roster restrictions, to then throw this sort of Russian roulette playoff on top of it I think is, is too much. Uh, I want a little bit more meritocracy. So
1: then if uh, and when LAFC chokes in the playoffs, right— First off, you wouldn't look at it as a choke. You would just look at it as the soccer gods smiling on, right. uh, not smiling on that day and, and going on. But if and when they don't win MLS Cup, you will look at whoever does win MLS Cup as a false champion, a paper lion, a uh, uh, someone that doesn't deserve the... The praise and the attention that they are going to get, especially to the detriment of the team that did it all regular season.
2: Yeah, I mean, we we ended our conversation two weeks ago when San Jose was still fighting for that last playoff berth. I said, if San Jose get in, get hot, go on to win MLS Cup, would they have a better claim to having been the best team in MLS this season than LAFC? And you said without hesitation, yes. And I think, no, I would look at it as LAFC proved themselves over the regular season. They were the best team, and they just faltered in the playoffs while somebody else got hot at the right time. What are you
1: drinking in here? Is this, is this, it's not vodka, is it? You're,
2: you're <laughs>
1: crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> but uh, can we get into some of the specific matchups? Yeah, we can get into some of them. And we're definitely going to do a bracket type of thing. But let's definitely get well, into a couple I of them Well, I know uh, a lot of
2: folks here. in the West are salivating over the prospect of LAFC versus the LA Galaxy in Seattle, Portland. Seattle heavily favored to get past Dallas. Portland, although they're the lower seed or trendy pick to knock off RSL, and then uh, Galaxy, Minnesota, sort of a toss-up. But as we've talked about, there is this notion, although the Galaxy have given us no reason to think this, just based on the pedigree of the coach and some of the players, that once the playoffs come around, they're just going to flick the switch and become world beaters. Uh, So just give me your overview of the West and how you see it all playing out.
1: Like I said last week, I have all of the home teams winning. Now, where is that a, a problem where where do I look where where's that problematic probably first and foremost up there in Minnesota uh Minnesota hosting the LA Galaxy if as you mentioned the LA Galaxy which we have no idea from game to game what's going to show up oh, except for Zlatan and that's where all their eggs are in the Zlatan basket and it's a great basket to be in when things go well and when they don't obviously things don't go well. So I, I have all the home teams winning, which means that I have uh, Minnesota United beating the Galaxy, I have RSL beating Portland, and I have Seattle beating FC Dallas. We were t- we were in uh, DC and I was talking to John Strong and, and Stu Holden and Katie Witham and folks that cover the, uh, the league, uh, you know, our producer Shaw Brown, uh, that have covered the league for a long time. And we were going back and forth. And for the most part, I think people came down on the home teams. So that would mean Toronto on the other side beating DC United, Philly being beating the Red Bulls, and Atlanta beating uh, New England. There was some real question, and I can't remember who, but definitely the LA Galaxy. There's plenty of people that have the LA Galaxy going into Minnesota and beating it. And that would not be a, a crazy surprise uh, to have that happen. I think everything else, you mentioned Portland. I think RSL doesn't get enough credit for how good they are and how good they can be. I still think Seattle is, is going to find a way against uh, FC Dallas. A- as I mentioned, the, uh, the Bruce Arena effect, this is as far as it gets, so Atlanta goes through. I will be in Philadelphia for the Philadelphia Red Bulls game, so I'm looking forward to that alongside J.P. Della Camera on uh, uh, where is it? Sunday, and Daniel Slayton will be uh, with us there. So I'm looking forward to that, and I do think that Philadelphia finds a way against that. Toronto FC should scare people. Uh, I think they are they are good I think that they will beat DC and then if that happens they play NYCFC and you know on those days like I mentioned in the in the uh, state of the union which is one of the one of the things that I love about playoffs is those days can happen. One of the things that you don't like about playoffs is that those things can happen. I mean, why are we even discussing this if you don't even put any value uh, or credence to anything when it comes to playoffs?
2: Uh, two larger questions in the East. Uh, I don't think we've discussed this in the pod, but the NYCFC stadium situation, yes. the, the conflict with the Yankees, the mm-hmm. fact that they might have to play big playoff games, including MLS Cup at Citi Field, I guess it yep. would be. Uh, how bad a look is this for MLS? What do you make of this whole situation?
1: So it's a bad look. Because this is a team that came in, I don't know, what was it, six years ago now, uh, with the promise of a second New York metropolitan area MLS team to rival the Red Bulls. But more importantly, with the promise of a stadium, a true New York City stadium. Not when we say New York Red Bulls, do we really mean New Jersey stadium. And it has not come to fruition. Now, look, it's easy from the outside to say, why haven't you done it? And anybody, both from the outside and inside, the reality is land is precious. And even when you find that land, getting the ability to actually build a stadium is difficult. But that was part of the promise. And that it's taken this long, I don't think anybody internally, when it comes to NYCFC or the league, or externally expected it to take this long. So you're playing in this baseball stadium. And I, I, will, I will tell you right now, it is the most unaccommodating uh, and inhospitable environment that's just from an outside perspective. From an inside perspective, because of the way that the field is set up, it makes it very, very difficult. However, we talked so much about uh, rewarding the play for the regular season. Well, one of the rewards that NYCFC has had is directly relative to the fact that they have played their home games, where they've won, they've lost one game maybe all year uh, at Yankee Stadium. They've learned how to play. They have gained that, uh, that ability to host games, and they they are better as a team because they know how to play on their home field and that goes out the window. so it actually works against NYCFC even though the optics of it the the change is bad, but literally the optics when we're watching a game is going to look better than when it is at Yankee Stadium so it's MLS and but but what's the alternative well the alternative is get yourself a stadium and these are owners this is this is my big problem. It, if you were just a tenant and and the ownership didn't care about you, and the New York Yankees are part owners of NYCFC, and they're kicking the NYCFC out of the stadium, and they're in the playoffs, and obviously we know baseball rules when it when it comes to that, but this this should have been anticipated, and it probably was, and the stars aligned, and your soccer gods that we've been talking about said this is what's going to happen. So the reality is they're going to play their playoff games, uh, including the final in places other than Yankee Stadium.
2: Other question in the East. Atlanta United, if they were to win a second straight MLS Cup mm-hmm. with a different manager, what would this do to their standing? Would, would that just cement them as the face, the franchise in
1: MLS right now? Yeah, because if you keep in mind, when we, when Frank DeBoer first started, it, w- it did not look good. It was very rocky at the beginning. And then, depending on who you believe, uh, either he changed or he was made to change by the— very good players that they have that kind of said, listen, this is not who we are, nor who we want to be. And if this is going to head in the right direction, we need to be much more of the Atlanta team that we have been in the past, which has made all the difference. Yeah, I think if they were to do it this year, first off, just, just repeating is a feat in itself. Repeating in the way that they did it and in a different way with a different coach, that's that to me speaks to an ingrained and internal we we throw those words around, you know, philosophy and principle and, you know, this is uh, an identity. Well, that to me speaks to it. Because when you can change the pieces and still find a way to be successful, then there is an ingrained identity and philosophy that says this is how we are going to do it. And this is what's going to lead to our success.
2: And amazingly enough, they've done it without the uh, pity Martinez signing really working yep. out. The reigning South American Player of the Year has been kind he of he struggled a, to bet in as they yes, say. Yes, and yet still here they are looking like one of the top contenders to win MLS. And Cup.
1: Joseph Martinez uh, will be back, which is a a wonderful it, it's, it's wonderful news after uh, suffering that uh, that ankle injury a couple uh, a couple weeks ago. So yeah, it, I, look, I as we'll finish this up finish it up here. I love. Playoffs. I love the concept of them. I love what they represent. I fully recognize and admit that, yes, it can give people a false impression and perspective on on teams that maybe aren't at that level and shouldn't be valued at that level. But th- this is entertainment, okay? And I know people cringe when you say that, but we are in the entertainment business. Uh, This is sports entertainment, and the things that you can do to bring additional meaning and value and relevancy to games going forward and to crank up that pressure and crank up that interest, all that you can do, I think should be done and I think should be applauded. And don't tell me that all those leagues that you hold so high, all right, wouldn't love to have playoff scenarios at the end of those seasons. I
2: was about to go there just to rile well, up the purists on the way out. Uh, we look at it in terms of does MLS need to conform to Europe, but you would take it the other way. We talk about how top-heavy and predictable some of these European leagues are. You would actually introduce playoffs if you were running those leagues.
1: Yeah. Look, uh, Klopp, wonderful manager, all right? Here's what I need you to do. Not only do it in the regular season, okay, but parlay it into success in the postseason when everybody does get that second bite at the apple, all right? Then, my friend, then you are a world-class coach. (laughs) You guys, uh, I smell a nice little
2: Twitter uh, piece here.
1: Look, look, I I will say this before before we go. The ability to have success in MLS for a number of reasons, I do— give added value because of the parity that you mentioned uh, and the manufactured parity when it comes to the salary cap and the restrictions that are put on coaches. I think it is, I think it's the most difficult coaching job in the world because of those things that we have uh, talked about. And then not only when you've done well in the regular season, but then you have to double down. And as I've said time and time again, good teams Find a way to win MLS Cups. Great teams. Find a way to win a supporter shield and then go on and parlay that into MLS Cup. And you know who hasn't done that yet? Jurgen Klopp. (laughs) All right, anything else, Masi? Nope. All right, moving on. Hello, people. It's Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out. Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from Major League Soccer, the Bundesliga, International Friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's ad-free, so you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now back to the show. Mossy makes the case. All right, it's that time again, uh, time for uh, Mossy Makes the Case. What are you casing for this week, Mossy?
2: My case is that the gap between Europe and everyone else is widening at the international level. Last week, the U.S. played their first ever match in the CONCACAF Nations League, and the reaction was decidedly different to the one 12 months ago when the likes of England and France kicked off their UEFA Nations League campaigns. The creation of the UEFA Nations League was hailed as a masterstroke because it added more worthwhile matches to the calendar, while the introduction of the CONCACAF Nations League has been roundly criticized for adding more worthless matches to the calendar. Whatever you think of the merits of those arguments, I do think there's a growing sense that when it comes to international football, if a European country is not involved, it doesn't matter. Europe has won the last four World Cups. Three of the last four World Cups have featured all European finals, and the last World Cup featured all European semifinals. So if everything you do in a cycle is with an eye towards the next World Cup, The feeling is, if you're not testing yourself against European opposition, you're not really accomplishing much of anything. The problem, of course, is that with the advent of these Nations Leagues and the elimination of the Confederations Cup, Europe is walled off from the rest of the world like never before. What will that mean in 2022? It remains to be seen, but I fear it means the gap will widen and international football, which is supposed to be an antidote to club football, will increasingly feel like an extension of it.
1: Oh, interesting! Interesting. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I would ask you this: How did European—and I'll use your vernacular—football rise to the great heights that it has achieved at this point over the, let's say, over the last hundred years?
2: Hmm. Well, they, you have countries that are steeped in tradition and able to produce players and and at a high level on a consistent basis. And okay. uh,
1: all right, but. Uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I'm certainly not a historian. Uh, you, are, you are much more educated and, and uh, worldly when it comes to these things. But it, at no time would anybody make a case that the rise of European football was directly related to them playing better competition in other uh, areas of the world.
2: No, I mean, I suppose you could, if you went back far enough, you could, you could maybe argue that...
1: No, my, No, you can't argue that. The rise of European football came from playing each other All right. And that was what the the level was. So if by playing each other, you can get to the level that we have right now, then I know this is theoretical. Another confederation could play each other and eventually get to that level. Why does why do you have to play against Europe? in order to get better. So you don't buy that argument because when the uh, UEFA Nations
2: League, as I mentioned, when that launched last year, European journalists were fawning all over it. And from a strictly European perspective, I get it, but there was some hand-wringing in Asia and Africa, uh, and they were concerned about uh, the lack of opportunities to play against European opposition. And now that more time has gone by, there are some people that are sort of reflecting on that and and wondering, well, for the greater good of the game, is uh, this concept of Nations Leagues and these regions sort of, you know, walling off from each other and, and I, never playing against each other in the four years is that is that i don't a say good it happens thing? overnight
1: but if the if the point is that you in order to get better you have to play against better competition and i and i would i i, I can agree with that i can I absolutely see that and that's you know nothing is absolutely true but i will i will say that that is a that is a truth but if you're saying that Europe rose to prominence without necessarily playing against better competition, only playing within themselves, then that should be able to be replicated other places in the world. And so this whole point of playing against other places and the hand-wringing that you mentioned from these other confederations doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to, that you're going to get better. Just get better, but continue to play. Now, it's going to take maybe a whole, lot, a whole lot longer, but you can rise to whatever level it is or the level that we've seen because that's what Europe has done.
2: Now, are you surprised at what we've seen? Because uh, I think we've all come to accept at club level that Europe is going to be the center of the universe. Sure. But there, there was this thought over the last 20, 30 years that by European clubs buying all the best players from all over the world, uh, a lot of different countries would benefit from that, and it would lead to more parity at the international level. Uh, Pele famously predicted that an African nation would have won a world cup by now. And even people smarter than him, soccer economics folks were predicting similar things. A lot of people thought the U S would be a major power mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. now. And yet Europe is enjoying this incredible run of world cup domination. Are you surprised by that? Are you disappointed? I mean, what do you, what do you make of that?
1: I don't know why an African nation has not won. I mean, look, I know I'm being a little bit, uh, not flip, but, uh, but I'm, I'm poking uh, a little bit when it comes to this thesis that I've that I've laid out there because when you talk about money uh, infrastructure and, and obviously history all of those things that may or may not exist and in many places don't exist those can contribute and can be huge contributing factors to why teams uh, don't do well you mentioned teams that are, are countries and areas of the world that are exporting incredible amounts of talent you look at Argentina and, and you look at Brazil and stuff like that and you know why hasn't that well, from a national team perspective, I think you could say that it has made them it has made them better. But there's plenty of other countries where it has not it has not worked out well, or it just hasn't it hasn't elevated them in what we thought was going to happen. And a lot of the things that I just mentioned with regards to resources and facilities and and you know, I guess it would just come down to care. Uh, don't necessarily exist to the levels uh, that they do that you do elsewhere. I don't, so I don't have a reason as, other than the you know things that I just mentioned.
2: Yeah, people might wonder why you're bringing this up now. Uh, there's been a lot of chatter recently about international football and its place in the calendar, and I've heard a lot of people say recently, all I really care about is the World Cup and Euros. And I think mm-hmm. it's interesting that they add the Euros, but no other regional competition moves the needle. And you look at the reaction to the Nations League, where in Europe, they're all excited about the prospect of having another competition where they can play against each other. While nobody else around the world seems to be excited by that prospect. They're all bemoaning the lack of opportunities to play against European countries, even if it's in friendlies. So to me, if you have Europe winning all the World Cups, the Euros being the only regional championship that has any juice, and the UEFA Nations League being the only Nations League that matters, to me, there's something there that's worthy of discussion.
1: It is, but Simply saying that we live in a Eurocentric universe when it comes to our soccer, or in your case, when it comes to football, uh, <laughs> I, 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 at the risk of stating the obvious, I guess we do. But but that but it doesn't mean that it's not a it's not a good point, and and it's not possibly problematic going forward. Europe doesn't care because they have all the players, they have all the attention, they make all the money, they're winning all of the games when it comes to either the club scenario and definitely when it comes to the international scenario and much more so than uh, than others. But, you know, and, and this is why when... Uh, when people ask me about the uh, the Nations League that d- that just came out, and all of these different confederations are doing this type of thing, wh- why are we doing this, and why should why should we? And when I say we, the U.S., for example, do it. That is at the top of the food chain when it comes to our reason. Why should we do these these types of things? Well, it's to help everybody else in there. But there's another part of it where it comes to FIFA. So now FIFA's at the top, and their mandate and their responsibility isn't to make Europe the best Europe that it can be. It's to make everybody the best confederation they can be and collectively help. And so at some point, in the same way that we took it for the team, and I say we, the United States, took it for the team uh, in CONCACAF by agreeing and supporting this Nations League, I will be interested to see at some point if FIFA makes Europe take it for the team, which would be the rest of the world, in a way that benefits the rest of the world.
2: It's interesting because this Nations League concept was the brainchild of Johnny Infantino, but he came up with this idea when he was working at UEFA. Right. And now it's actually coming (laughs) to fruition when he's the FIFA president. (laughs) And it's sort of running counter to his, you know, he wants to expand World Cups to give uh, more countries a chance to compete at the highest level because he thinks that's going to make them better. And so this UEFA Nations League concept runs a little bit counter to that. So Infantino's caught in a bit of a weird place right now.
1: Well, you know, that's uh, the price of of uh, fame and, and uh, <laughs> achievement when it comes, I think, don't worry, don't cry for Johnny. He's going to, uh, he, he's going to figure out, do you see this changing and or slowing in any time soon? The is the rich get richer. I mean, no, is, because that's it
2: was such a success in Europe. Everybody deemed it, a, like I said, a master stroke. And so they're going to keep doing it. And, you know, I think every other region is going to be compelled to create its equivalent of it. So, no, I think we're going down this Nations League path.
1: Sometimes I fantasize about a lot of things, but uh, when it comes to soccer, I I, uh, fantasize about a, a movie or a book or a scenario where you could take a league and or teams and... Put, and just plop them down in an area that is perceived to be the highest level and this, to see to be high quality and and just you know change the the uniforms as opposed to the players, and then just put it in front of these people and see if they eat it up in the same way and, and, and it goes back to perception versus reality. And I'm not saying that that Europe doesn't have wonderful players and wonderful uh, leagues and wonder, uh, wonderful teams, but I, I'm always I'm always wary and and or infatuated by how people uh, assign value and worth simply because it is, it is, in this case, it would be European. And it could apply to a bunch of different things, but wh- whoever is deemed the highest level of quality, then there is that level, uh, uh, there is that value that is associated with, uh, with, with, with that level. And sometimes I, w- I just fantasize about being able to strip it all away and actually have people look at it. And I would be fascinated to see how their perception and their reality ultimately would change if you were able to do that. Can you do that for me, Mossy, or no?
2: Yeah, it's a. Uh... You can't Tough. do that for me? I mean, you
1: can do a lot of things. All right. I will continue to fantasize uh, out there about these different things and soccer. Uh, anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right. Moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay. It's that time uh, again for Ask Alexi, the hashtag Ask Alexi segment. You use that hashtag on the uh, social media platforms out there and the Twitters and the Facebooks and all that kind of stuff. And you let us know what you think. Give us some comments and questions, and then we pick three of them. As we did this week, Mossy, what uh, the people want to know this week? Cheeky move by
2: Alex Dowd here. He saw that you lit up the internet last week with this topic, so he throws it in here as well. At, at James Martin, 1654, where would you place Carlos Vela in a ranking of the world's top players?
1: Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> this, was, uh, this was on fire. Uh, it was as if I had killed people's dog. Uh, when I when I put this out there you know sometimes Twitter's such a a, a strange beast and an and animal it's because it's so unpredictable. you never know what is going to resonate with people out there and this was I didn't think that this would make anybody would even care about this and it was one some people were asking me questions and stuff like that about Carlos Vela and I put out there that if I'm looking at my, top players of the world, that I would have Carlos Vela in my top 20. Now, immediately that hit, and all hell broke loose, and people were, they, they not only disagreed, but they were angry that I even dared put Carlos Vela, let alone anybody playing in Major League Soccer, in my top 20. Now, first off, we've talked many, many times that we live in, when we're talking about these things in a subjective type of universe when we're talking about the best and that I can no more tell you what the best soccer player is or league is than I can tell you what the best wine or a good looking person or a food or art or anything like that. It's up to the beholder and I am the beholder in this type of situation. Now that I follow major league soccer is different than a lot of people that maybe were participating uh, would want to participate in something like this, and certainly some people that uh, that follow me internationally, and so they could not fathom a world in which a player like Carlos Vela, let alone a player in MLS, could possibly be in anybody's uh, uh, top twenty. Which ultimately started and fostered and ignited a debate that <laughs> continues on here and has made it to our uh, uh, made it to our podcast. And so, yes. I do look at Carlos Vela as a player that I would have in my top 20. Now, if, if, if you're about to say, no, he's not in your tw- top 20, that's fine. I can respect that uh, completely, and we can have an honest and respectable type of conversation than this. I don't look at you as if you are ridiculous, at least in this moment. So where would you have uh, Carlos Vela or someone like that?
2: Not in the top twenty. Okay. i think I think the larger issue is, um, how do you contextualize what somebody does in a league outside of Europe to what players are doing in the quote unquote top European leagues? Uh, because you know in, in Brazil there are a lot of people that resent the fact that the national team is comprised almost entirely of European based players and that doing well there is is given so much more value they're always bringing up players in Brazil and saying they're better than blank player who's shining every week for Real Madrid Barcelona Liverpool Manchester City and so you get into these debates of how you sort of contextualize all that and the thing I always say is you have a better argument if it's a new player who hasn't played in Europe yet because then we don't know but if it's a guy who played in Europe and wasn't that great there it's a harder sell with Vela there's, you know, 10 years of empirical evidence of him being in Europe. And by the way, he had some really good seasons at Sociedad, better than some of the commenters in your Twitter thread gave him credit for. But at no point in the last 10 years, if I had asked you when he was in Europe, would you have said Carlos Vela was one of the 20 best players in the world. So... To think that at the age of 30 now, based on a great season in MLS, he's now vaulted himself into that level. That's just a tough sell for people. Can you understand that? So if you don't make
1: it in Europe and whatever make it is, whatever your definition is, then it's impossible for you to be in the top 20.
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's a tough sell. If you played in Europe for many years and, and you weren't top 20, then at the age of 30, you move to a league like MLS and do really well. It's sort of, then people are going to immediately go to, well, no, he's, he's, he's benefiting from playing in a, in a league with lesser competition. They're not going to believe that a guy just took a quantum leap at but, that point in his
1: career. A couple of things. Uh, number one, you would not argue against the, uh, not the fact, but I'm putting this out there. W- would, you, would you agree that there are times in life When somebody goes from one situation to another situation, and that new situation is so much more beneficial to them in that it plays to their strengths, or they're more comfortable, or their family's more comfortable, or whatever it ends up being. A change of scenery can change a player, right? Yep. Yep. So you're not just necessarily the, the, the same player. That's number, that's, that's number one. So that can happen in general. But you you and your ilk would argue, yes, but not going from Europe to MLS. Fine, fair enough. So then my next argument would be, okay, fine. But when you mention your, your Brazilian friends down there, okay, they are playing in a more traditional type of scenario and setting and system uh, when they are playing in Brazil or when they're playing in Argentina and stuff like that in terms of the leagues that they have over there. When Carlos Vela goes to Major League Soccer. Once again, we're back to the, the unique system and setup that Major League Soccer throws at coaches and players, and it's a longer discussion, but throws at uh, fans. So Carlos Vela is not doing it in a league of haves and have-nots. I know mean, there's some separation. And, and I'm not saying that LAFC hasn't spent money, but relative, and we talk about this often on the pod, relative to leagues around the world, the parity that exists and that manufactured uh, parody that exists makes the, the experience and the success or failure in Major League Soccer that much more unique compared to anything else that he is. So when you compare what Carlos Vela is playing at LAFC to what he did in Europe, For me, it's a real apples to oranges type of comparison.
2: No, you're right. And Vela is a guy that's—he's more talented than his club pedigree. He's had an odd career— He's refused to play for Mexico a lot of times. He's a guy that should have a lot more caps than he does and, and competed in more major tournaments. Maybe that would have affected our perception of him as a player over the years. And yeah, as I mentioned, he spent a lot of years at Sociedad, and it wouldn't have been a stretch during those years for him to have moved to a bigger club, but he, he chose to stay with Sociedad where he was happy, I guess. So that's fair. I mean, Vela's more so, talented. So
1: when, when, so when I throw this out there, obviously the, the arguments come back and the names come back, oh, man, I'll, I'll just... Just the uh, just Liverpool and and City. There you go. Done. <laughs> we're we're done. There's twenty. Okay. There there there's twenty. You know. But then you start thinking about it. Okay. The Bundesliga. Okay. Who's who who would be ahead of him in the Bundesliga? Oh wow. We're doing this, huh? Just just a couple. We're not going to do it through the whole thing because we could we could spend a whole podcast and that's up to you. Give me give me your list and stuff like that. But who would be ahead? For me, Lewandowski. That's it on Bayern. So well, name some more people then, Mossy. Coutinho. What Coutinho? Yeah. Better than Vela? Why? Thomas because he's Mueller? Brazilian, <laughs> Thomas Muller. Why? Because he won a World Cup with Germany. <laughs> uh, Serge
2: Gnabry just scored four goals in a big Champions League match. No. What, what? <laughs> well, so we're doing because I'm trying to pick out players that play roughly Vela's position. I mean, if we expand it out, the guys like Kimmich, would you say is a better player? I mean, it's hard to well, contextualize that was not part of the deal. Posi-
1: that, listen, read the tweet. Okay,
2: the tweet top twenty players. Right. So, including all positions. Yeah, everything. And, and including all different positions in the world, if you were ranking your top 20, Carlos Vela would be in there. Yeah. Interesting.
1: I, I, I love him as a player. I think he's a really, really good player. I think, obviously, he's one of the top 20 players in the world. Would you say, say Dortmund, Sancho, now listen, Sancho the, and Royce? There both could both clearly be a player, okay, playing over in <laughs> China or playing over in, you know, pick, pick whatever league that I don't necessarily follow. OK, and there might be somebody sitting there that follows it and said, this guy is awesome. This is wonderful. And that person may be in their 20. OK, and that's fine because you have the benefit. And a lot of people that are responding to me, they don't watch major league soccer. <laughs> they don't watch any. They don't know. It's just to them, their mind explodes because they can't possibly fathom that a major league soccer player could be on anybody's top 20 list. And in particular, anybody that talks about soccer for a living. And so, obviously, I must not know what I'm talking about. I must be ridiculous. There's a lot of American, blah, blah, blah. And by the way,
2: it's not just fans that think that because uh, Sebastian Jovinko was doing some Vela-type things for a couple of years there in MLS. And when he didn't get a call to Italy, uh, the Italian coach at the time, Giampiero Ventura, was pretty outspoken. He said, MLS
1: doesn't matter. I don't put any stock in what he's doing in that league. That's fine. And you can get away with that. But, but, <laughs> but I, I think you're doing your team, and in that case, it would be your country, a disservice if that's the attitude uh, that you had. And I'm not saying that you can't, especially if you're Italy or somebody, like that, you can't pick a great 11 and have them all be from Europe and have them all be from the quote-unquote best leagues and the best uh, uh, teams in Europe. But in, if you're not scouring the globe for the best players— then i don't think you're doing your job and if you automatically on the face of it say it's he's playing in mls and therefore i don't want to have him on my team uh, who, who scored the winning goal the other day against england is that possibly a player that's playing in mls huh? how is that possible mossy that england lost internationally <laughs> that's england that's by the way that's your international european team okay <laughs> they lost And the person that scored a winning goal against England was a forward for FC Dallas, okay, that struggles to get on the field. He's done well uh, of late, but it's not necessarily your go-to man. How is that possible? Because he's playing in Major League Soccer. He should not even be able to juggle the ball. <laughs> and yet he scored a goal against, uh, against England to beat England. Anyway, uh, listen, you know, these are the types of things. So anyway, there you go. Uh, James Martin, 1654. Yes, he, is, he would be in my top 20 of world top players.
2: Next up, at Brendan Byrne, yeah. if you were offered the Manchester United managerial job, what would be the first step you made in rebuilding the team?
1: Oh, geez. All right. So the the you know, the first thing that everybody says is Ed Woodward, right? Uh, this uh, this figure that is not a and once again I'm using air quotes here, a a a soccer guy. In that case it would be a football guy, right? And has placed himself in and amongst the action to what a lot of people feel is the demise and detriment to uh, player signings and the talent, and I use that word loosely, that Manchester United has brought in. Not for lack of money, but and but it's even more to the point that the amount of money that has been spent has been, uh, while it's been a lot, it's therefore been horribly spent. So from an off-field perspective, that, and you, you don't... This is the the problem with an interim coach um, or a second coach that just steps in into the breach. It's a false sense of security at times. And it's, it's wrong, I think, to decide simply on what that happens because it's such a weird, and I've been in this position before, it's such a weird moment to be in a situation where you have a temporary interim type of manager. Because... That manager at that point has absolutely nothing to lose. And until you are actually making decisions where you do have something to lose, I don't think you accurately know who a manager and a coach is. And so both of them fired and or moved uh, something. So that's, uh, that's the off the field. What would, would your be your first move?
2: United to me are two players away from winning the Premier League. Messi and Ronaldo. Uh, that's, an old, that's an old joke. The Washington Senators manager. We're two players away from winning the pennant, Ruth and Gehrig. I but, think they're um, one
1: player away from competing. And you know who that player is? Who's that? Carlos Baylor.
2: <laughs> no, here's, here's my larger point here. Uh, you talk about sometimes these words that people throw around yeah. that sound good without even thinking of the larger implications of them. And I know identity gets you all the time. People are like, well, we need identity. We have identity, this and that. Mine is rebuilding. I hear this term a lot thrown around with these English clubs. Oh, they need to rebuild. They're rebuilding. What does that mean as far as Manchester United? Is this still the post-Ferguson rebuild that's been going on for six years? Is this now the post mourinho rebuild? And, you know, to me, rebuilding connotes some sort of plan where you're going to decide on the style of play and sign players that fit that style, or you're going to build through the youth system or young players. It seems like with United, it's just every window, let's just throw money at players that we think might be a little bit better than the ones we have now. And I guess they're just going to keep doing that and, and moving forward. And I don't know what, if that constitutes rebuilding the team, no, just that going doesn't... after establishing players out in the market that you think might be better than the ones you have? I mean, I guess if it's just throwing money at the problem like that, you know, we'll see.
1: Okay. So you're absolutely right in in terms of this rebuilding phrase that we throw (laughs) throw out there. If you are Manchester United, okay, the rise of the Super Club, which I talk about a lot, all right, it has been promised and it has been proven that this is a team that spends more money than anybody else and wins more than anybody else. This is a team that never even thinks about the possibility of relegation. And this doesn't just apply to, but, but this certainly, this is also a team that is global. As many people hate it as love it, it has international aspects of it when it comes to the on-field and off-field business that they do. And you're talking about a handful of teams right now that fit that. And this rise that has happened over the, te- the last 10, 15 years of these super clubs, if you will, uh, and it doesn't. It, you don't even have to have a story history. Take a look at, uh, at Man City. You can you can come up from nowhere and become one of these. But now you have said this is what we are promising, and you have to be able to live up to that. And yes, the way that Manchester United gets out of this is by spending money, and spending more money, but spending smart money. Because to be fair to I don't know if we're fair this, but they have spent lots of money. It just hasn't been smart. And that's why it gets back to the leadership and the people that are making those ultimate decisions on how to spend that money. A, a rebuild, that's where you clean house. That's where somebody comes in and says, of the 25 players that I had on my roster last year, I've kept three of them or something like that. That's a rebuild. That's a whole rebuild. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play young teams. And in the process, I'm going to risk relegation. Now, while they are in the bottom half of the table, the table. There is nothing that said that that was the plan and that this that this is five years on, down the line we're going to see the uh, the fruits of our labor.
2: Do you think they've lost enough luster that if they're competing with a Real Madrid or Barcelona for a player, if the money's the same, can you envision any scenario where that player picks Manchester United
1: or even in England against competing against Liverpool and Manchester City? I think they have severely damaged the brand when it comes to the recruiting process. I don't think that players look at Manchester United in the same way that they looked at it certainly not 10 years ago but even a couple of years ago and i think that's that's the major problem because even if you have good people that are smart people that are going to make the right choices they still have to be able to convince those players and maybe that's where their value comes maybe you get people in there and you're going to have to get people in there that not only understand the game and are smart in the decisions they make, but they can go in and they can convince players that at this point in 2019, 2020, look at Manchester United in a very different way than they did in even the near uh, the near past. If you can get those people in, that that's going to be important. But convincing those players, I, I think it's I think it's a hard sell right now, and I don't think that there was a time in the last let's say 20 years, that I ever thought it was going to be a hard sell to get a player to go to Manchester United. I don't know.
2: Last one uh, was the fun one. Uh, we'll see, how, we'll see if you, how fun you think this is. At Cachamarca ZVX, were you aware that the Spanish language announcers claimed you flopped when you got hammered in the nuts in the Gold Cup final in Pasadena?
1: Wow, a graphic tweet. So for, uh, so for the people that don't know, and you can look it up on, uh, on YouTube, there was a uh, full frontal assault to my manhood many, many years ago when I was running around with the national team. It's, it was documented, and uh, it now is part of the uh, U.S.-Mexico type of lore. To the I don't know who the actual Spanish language announcers were, but uh, to them I say this, how dare you? How dare you uh, question something that... Everybody can see watching the video was, as I said, an assault on me and in the most provocative and sensitive way. I also find that it's rather rich, shall we say, to be accused of faking or embellishing or, and or diving when we are talking about a game where the United States was playing against Mexico. Okay? If there was any embellishment and faking and or diving in that moment it's only because i learned it from the mexican players okay i will tell you this uh, in, in all honesty i reacted because it wasn't a graze it wasn't a graze my friends this was this was full on and but i will be honest with you once i knew that it happened and once i knew that you know where and how it had all happened. Uh, you're damn right I'm gonna play it up. You're damn right I'm gonna writhe on the ground, but I think it was justified. Um, did my, I I'm gonna call it antics, but more antics, but did my demonstration in that moment uh, equal the level and the velocity of the actual hit to my nether regions? No, I will give you that, okay? But in no way do I think that it rose to the level of, what did he say uh, down here, flopping or something like that. Absolutely not. And uh, that, uh, that so much was made of it, I think, is completely, uh, completely justified. And um, I, have, I have since forgiven said culprit, who shall remain nameless. You can go look it up, but I have moved on.
2: During a Dennis Miller's short-lived stint as a Monday Night Football announcer, I remember one game. Uh, Al Michael said that a player was suffering from a minor groin injury, and Dennis Miller said, "No such thing as a minor <laughs> groin injury." <laughs> yeah,
1: it was. Yeah, it it, it came out of uh, nowhere. We were in kind of like a, a big group in a scrum, and and you can see it on uh, online, which is why the player felt at that moment that they had the ability, and obviously the pathway because everyone was kind of uh, around uh, had good for the uh, the refereeing crew in that moment they were able to see it and they were able to uh, to do their job and be interested even back it, it, we didn't obviously have VAR back then but VAR would have caught it no problem no problem anyway I've sufficiently recovered both physically and mentally from that uh, incredibly uh, difficult moment all right, that is it that is it that's it all right listen uh use that hashtag ask Alexi out there and uh, send us your comments, questions, and concerns, and we will read them, whether they uh, involve uh, the incredibly ludicrous uh, assertion that Carlos Vela is possibly in a top 20 list of best players in the world, or a direct kick to my uh, manhood. Whatever it is, send those through. All right, moving on. The Back 3. All right, it's time for the uh, Back 3. where We will look at some big stories and games and moments out there. Mossy, what uh, do we have in the Back 3 this week?
2: Uh, We start off with the U.S. men's national team mentioned earlier in the pod they kicked off their CONCACAF Nations League campaign with a hard-fought 7-0 win over Cuba. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're taping this on a Monday. They face Canada tomorrow in Toronto. Uh, These matches occurring against the backdrop of the two-year anniversary of their incredible qualifying defeat to Trinidad, which occurred on October tenth, 2017. So first a match with Cuba, you were there, you were covering it. Yes. Uh, did you take anything away from that game? What did you make of it?
1: Well, first off, it just reinforced the level that the U.S. Men's National Team has dropped. And I say that for a number of reasons. Uh, We were in D.C. It was not a, a big crowd when it came to the national team. And there was a point where the U.S. Men's National Team playing was a big deal and in a place like DC. So it wasn't a great environment. To be fair, you also weren't playing a great opponent in in Cuba, and that's where the actual assessment and or lack of assessment comes from. This was a horrible team. This was a team that players are defecting before the game. This is a team that everybody else beat up on. This is a team going into the game, Greg Berhalter and co knew they were going to have a lot of joy and opportunity. Having said that, it's not it's not their fault. Once again, we mentioned that this is the first game of that Nations League that has been implemented, and so it's a game that they have to play. It's a competitive game, and you find a way to do what you need to do in that moment to beat the opponent that you have. And In this case, it was a horrible Cuba team, and the U.S. came out and scored in the first minute and continued to score throughout, uh, throughout the game. What do you take from it? You take from it that it was an exercise, that it— oftentimes it was patterns to goal and patterns with kind of pylons in the shape of Cuban players out there. So I think this is where, and I said this after the broadcast, where Michael Bradley really comes into play in a recognition, not that a Weston McKinney who had a hat trick isn't going to realize this and understand this, but there's just a come down to earth recognition. Yeah, you can celebrate, and it's wonderful score goals, and you did what you needed to do, but this is nothing in terms of the competition that you're going to face when it comes to Canada. We're recording this on Monday. The Canada game is on uh, on Tuesday up there in, in Toronto. It's going to be a whole different type of situation against a Canada that is itching and really salivating at the opportunity to find a way to get past the U.S. So I, I think you quickly throw it out. Uh, it was good to see players score. Nobody got hurt, but... I don't think you can take much of anything when it comes to how you are assessing Greg Berhalter because they certainly weren't playing out of the back because <laughs> nobody was pressing. Uh, their defense was never challenged and nor was uh, Brad Guzan who was a, a, in goal. So there's not a lot that you can take out of this game other than the fact that you did what needed to be done against a vastly inferior opponent. And this team and Greg Berhalter their job is not to beat the likes of Cuba and Canada. Their job is to find a way to beat teams that are better than us. And as we've said before, in CONCACAF, the only real time that that's going to happen is when we're playing, and notwithstanding what the, the failure of, of qualifying for 2018 and Cuba and Trinidad, but the reality is that the only time that's going to happen in CONCACAF, and it goes back to what we talked about, the competition relative, is when we were playing uh, against Mexico, and then when we get to the world cup and so that's what he has to figure it out and i don't think the game against cuba did anything to evolve or propel greg berhalter and his team forward in that quest to beat better teams
2: you mentioned the small crowd and uh that gets back to the larger point of this being the two-year anniversary of the loss to trinidad a lot of people using that to uh, make this point that in these two years since the U.S. hasn't really gotten that stink off and hasn't really created a sense of a fresh start and that there's still this apathy and mm-hmm. toxic feeling around this program. Uh, Did you buy that? Yeah,
1: and, and it was palpable. I came on air saying, so when the U.S. didn't qualify for the World Cup in 2018, two years ago around or about at this point, immediately what happened? Well, anger. First off, incredible anger and that turned into sadness, and that is now turned into a real apathy, and it doesn't help the US men that the women are so good and have become, they were darlings before, but even bigger rock stars, if you will, because of that inevitable compare and contrast that's gonna happen for what happens on the field and who they are off the field And the fact that they were put into the whole uh, fair pay uh, and rightfully so fair pay and equity and um, an equal pay discussion that goes on. So all of that combined makes me understand why there is this this apathy. And I can't snap my fingers and have everybody say, okay, we're just going to put the past behind. No, that past is going to follow this team forever. But I think it will finally go away and dissipate if and when they get back to what the initial goal has always been to qualify for the World Cup. And I think that they will. It doesn't mean that they're going to be forgiven. It doesn't mean that people still aren't going to have their arms or, or arms folded. But it was just really evident that, that that apathy has taken over. Because people, I don't think people are angry uh, or or sad anymore. I just think there's a shrug when it comes to this men's and look, Greg Berhalter and the U.S. Soccer Federation and the players, they, they understand that. There's nothing they can do now other than to continue to win. But I will challenge those that say that nothing has been done. I mean, we have seen a sea change when it comes to the United States Soccer Federation. And some of it's good, some of it's bad, but don't tell me that things aren't being done and that change hasn't happened in terms of the personnel, in terms of the outlook, in terms of what you're doing. We each and every day still hear and talk about young players. This is also a team where Tyler Adams still has not uh, been there from a continual basis, and he's going to play a part once once he gets uh, once he gets back. John Brooks. Continues to be injured, and he hasn't played a, a part. So there's other pieces of that uh, of that puzzle going forward. And there is going to be within that, fingers crossed, and this is another charge, a Olympic team that needs to qualify. And I'll be interested to see what the core of that team is, and if they matriculate to uh, Greg Berhalter's team. But this is Greg Ber- Berhalter right now, and this team, especially when they're playing a team like Cuba, they'll never win. They can beat them as many. They can score as many goals and win as many times against a team like Cuba, and to be quite honest, a, a team like Canada. And there still will be that apathy until you get back to the World Cup and you do it at the World Cup stage.
2: Next topic: uh, Brazil on Sunday played a 1-1 draw against Nigeria. The big story here is Neymar limped off after 12 minutes with a hamstring injury, which will sideline him for mm. four weeks. Uh-oh. And on the heels of all the other injuries he's had over the last two years, there's definitely a here-we-go-again sort of sense to this. As a former player, when you when you have so many injuries like this, at what point does it get in your head? Does it affect the way he plays? Is he not going to play with the same reckless abandon? Should he start adjusting his game at this point in his career? Um, how do you think sort of uh, Neymar reacts to yet another injury here?
1: Well, And correct me if I'm wrong, you know the the litany of injuries that he's had. This is a different injury now? I mean, this is something different? Uh, Yes. Or is this a... a And
2: and this one frankly, is even more concerning to me because for all the criticism Neymar takes, he's actually a guy that keeps himself in very good yeah. physical shape. I've never seen him tired in the game. He always runs the same way in the 90th minute as he does in the first. And all the other injuries he's had have come off bad challenges where you could say, okay, that could happen to anybody, sure. especially a player that dribbles around yeah. as much as he plays the way he does. Back injury. Yeah. In or like Zuniga yeah, yeah, yeah. nailed him in the back. If he starts to pick up these niggling injuries too, that's where you start to really concern yourself. So yeah, this is a hamstring injury he pulled. It, and he's going to be out four weeks. And so, I mean, this has really uh, set off some alarm bells.
1: Look, I, I don't think that it's, I'm not telling you or anybody anything that they don't know, in that we are seeing a, a moment of Neymar right now where he's not at his best. I think he still remains unsettled in the world that, to be fair, he created right now, but that his body could possibly be breaking down. I'm not ready to go there yet. But when you mention injuries, it's one thing if it's a an injury that keeps happening, and that's concerning in and of itself. But if different things are 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 happening, and a player that, as you rightly mentioned, has for the most part been pretty good at keeping himself fit and when he's on the field, if people aren't <laughs> trying to decapitate him or anything like that, uh, is good. But these types of injuries that that is not a good sign. I'm still of the opinion though that that he's he's going to be fine, and that there is still a what would be a a second or third act to come when it comes to Neymar?
2: Yeah, th- this was always the real reason this past summer where— why clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona were reluctant to spend all that money on him, and why a club like PSG was thinking, if we get the right price, maybe we do get rid of him. Everybody uh, attached all this, all the other nonsense around Neymar to that, but I think it had more to do with his health and concern that, wow, are we really going to spend all this money on a guy whose body might be starting to break down? So,
1: Well, I know we're coming off a moment where Messi was hurt, but it, it also shows how amazing Messi, and, and in particular Cristiano Ronaldo, has been in terms of their longevity, but their their ability to, to maintain that physical protection, if you will, to, uh, despite the fact that both of them are, are marked and stuff like that. The, the injuries that they've had, I mean, it's, it's amazing that they haven't been injured more given the games that they play, given the target that is on their back and continue the, the situations that they put themselves in.
2: Another disappointing injury was Alexis Sanchez Mm -hmm. uh, hurt his ankle in Chile's friendly against Colombia. It looks like he could be out three months and he was starting to play well again for he's on loan with Inter now and scoring goals and so had escaped that Manchester United nightmare of his. Uh, so that that was unfortunate to see. Hopefully he gets back on the field soon. But we'll end on this. We'll spin it forward to the club season, which okay. will resume this upcoming weekend. And the league we cover, the Bundesliga, which is off to a fascinating start. Nuts. You have Nuts. all these teams bunched together at the top. And Gladbach in first place, Wolfsburg in second, which Wolfsburg, the only remaining unbeaten, it sets up uh, two... Very interesting fixtures this upcoming weekend. Gladbach are away to Dortmund. Wolfsburg are away to Leipzig. Dortmund and Leipzig were the presumptive con- challengers to Bayern. So if you're a neutral who's in this sort of anybody but Bayern kind of mode, then you have a decision to make this weekend. Do you want Dortmund and Leipzig to sort of reassert themselves, or do you want Gladbach and Wolfsburg to keep this going and maybe convince you that they
1: are for real and they can challenge for the title? Right.
2: What's your sort of overview of okay, going so into this weekend?
1: F- first off, I love it. But if you are looking for them, uh, it doesn't matter what you want to happen. What's going to happen is that they are going to reassert themselves. Uh, Dortmund's going to win and Leipzig is going to win their games. And so it's not that that Gladbach or or Wolfsburg are going to crash back to reality, but I think when they walk into training— and they look at themselves at the top of the league, they kind of look around and say, I, I, I don't know what, this This isn't anything that we necessarily planned and or expected. And within that, I don't think that it's anything that they necessarily expect to, to continue for any uh, length of time. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to drop down. This is... You know, this is wonderful. This is wonderful for us too, who broadcast uh, uh, the Bundesliga to have this type of bunch at the top. And you, didn't, you haven't even mentioned Bayern, Bayern Munich, which are two points off of, uh, of Gladbach right now. But this is, this is the kind of stuff that you want. But I do think that Borussia Dortmund is going to have a day uh, are, are multiple days in their future, even though they're struggling right now. And this would be exactly what the doctor ordered if they were to uh, find a way. And, and it's certainly conceivable when, uh, playing at home, right? Uh, Dortmund's at home.
2: Correct, yeah. uh, a few things here. For the leipzig Wolfsburg game, Tyler Adams, who hasn't played all season, is expected to be available for that match. As is John yep. Brooks, who's been injured as well, but he played a friendly a few days ago for Wolfsburg, came out of it okay. So uh, we, we should have uh, John Brooks and Tyler Finally. Adams, two players that you mentioned earlier in the context of the U.S. national team and how much they've missed them. Yep. Uh, that's going to be good to see. And also, you know, to keep going back to this Jesse Marsh thing, the two managers here that are orchestrating these amazing starts uh, for Gladbach and Wolfsburg. One of them is Marco Rose at Gladbach, who's actually Jesse Marsch's predecessor at Salzburg, and led Salzburg to the Austrian uh, league title last season. And the other is Oliver Glasner at Wolfsburg, who uh, managed LASK in the Austrian league last season, who finished second to Salzburg. So it's interesting. Marco Rosa and Glazer were one and two in the Austrian League last year and right now they're one and two in the Bundesliga. But it just goes to show you the Austrian League is something of a pipeline. to a pipeline. So yeah. I mean if Jesse Mar I keep saying this, if Jesse Marsh keeps doing well, he is going to get offered a, a very good Bundesliga job. Um, and and yeah it's going to be fun to see if these Clubs can keep this going. Uh, in term, From a history standpoint, Wolfsburg last won the title in 2009. They had this great strike partnership of Grafici and Edin Dzeko. Gladbach, you got to go all the way back to 1977, the days of Jupp Heinkes and Bertie Vogts. Uh, I don't think either one of them are going to win it this year, but I, I think, you know, top four is definitely a possibility. I, I love what they're both doing. Gladbach have a uh, really good attack. A, a kid named Marcos Turan, who's the uh, son of Lillian Turan, which makes us all feel old. And then with Playa and Mbolo. Uh, Wolfsburg are doing it more defensively. They play this back three and with Vogi protecting it. They also have Wut Wegher scoring goals up there and Breccolo setting him up. So uh, two very good teams that have been fun to watch. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited for these games this weekend to see if they can keep going and prove that they're for real.
1: My final question for, uh, for you here before we before we move on, and it, it has to do a much bigger picture when it comes to the Bundesliga, uh, a league that we have broadcast and, and followed now for a, a number of years. And it's such a an interesting and fascinating and, and often strange type of, uh, of league. We saw many years ago the migration that happened from Syria being the place, and this goes back to your whole point of, of eurocentric type of world that we live in when it comes to our game. We saw that migration happen from Syria to the EPL. And so uh, obviously a different language from Italy to England so it can trans uh, you know it can translate and and migrate to a different language and a different country uh, and a different culture. And to be fair, it happened, timing is important in that because the Bosman ruling came about and the opening of the European community and all that kind of stuff which, which, which played in it. But we've seen where the golden goose can be killed, if you will. And it's a wonderful case study when it comes to Syria. And England now has it. If you're the Bundesliga and if you're looking into your mossy crystal ball, Do you see a migration that could possibly happen where 20 years from now, the Bundesliga is at the top or a a different league out there? Or do you think that this, the way that England has a a hold of the consciousness, both uh, in Europe and around the world, that it's going to take something, uh, a crazy type of event to have that ever change hands again? No,
2: I mean, this stuff tends to be cyclical. We always think whatever era we're in, boy, I can't see this can't ever-changing. Possibly. And then and then it changes. I mentioned uh, this past summer uh, Italy passed their version of the Beckham Law, which was made it uh, a lot more beneficial tax-wise for foreign players to come to Italy, and, and they're hoping that over the next few years that has an effect and maybe makes Italy a destination again. And so we'll see. It's possible the Bundesliga, I suppose, could do something similar if someday they ever change the 50-plus-1 thing, and that could give clubs more ability to spend – Uh, So no, I, I think this stuff is cyclical, it can change. But for now, the Bundesliga has clearly carved out this niche as this breeding ground for young stars. Yep. They, they they love attracting the younger players and with American the understanding players, so. that yeah yep. that that eventually those guys are gonna move on to the Premier League or, or La Liga but but they're sort of comfortable sort of carving out that niche as we're gonna be the, the league that's gonna identify these guys when they're eighteen or nineteen and, and we're gonna you're gonna sort of see them take their first steps towards stardom here in Germany and, and, and so you know everybody seems content with that.
1: I mean content Germans, and I, I'm not—I don't want to be, you know, stereotypical or anything like that. But you would think that they would want to find the and, and find the key that unlocks the true potential, if you will, of the Bundesliga. And you would think, given their infrastructure, uh, given their history, given the money, uh, and given the smart people that uh, that are over there when it comes to the game, that they would be working on that, and they wouldn't want to sit tight, and they wouldn't be content going forward. But Look, it's easier said than done, and I think the challenges that they have might be very different, and the environment that they exist in right now might be very different than when that migration from uh, Syria happened to the EPL. Regardless, more Bundesliga action coming uh, coming your way, uh, and we can't wait because it's always fun, and we have an actual... I, I, we can call it a race, right? I mean, it's it's early, it's exciting. but at least there's a lot of names that we didn't think were going to be there that are there, and we know that that happens, and then Bayern Munich wins everything in the end. So. <laughs> and then they <laughs> go on. Anything else, Mossy? Well,
2: I'll end on a quick television note. Okay. Uh, so uh, the best show on television, Succession, had its season finale last night, uh, which <laughs> was excellent, capping off a phenomenal season. I uh, highly recommend anybody that hasn't watched this show yet to, to get on it. What is it? Uh, Succession. And I've also already ripped through this uh, uh, newest season of Peaky Blinders on uh, Netflix. So no, no spoilers here, but if anybody wants to hit me up on Twitter to talk about it, I'm happy to do so. I have a really? lot of thoughts. Uh, so yeah. And then the crown comes back next week. So excited for that. Uh, another one of my favorite shows on Netflix. So it's all happening TV wise. It's
1: all happening. T- I don't, I can't remember what I'm, what I'm watching on TV. i most of my watching happens at 37,000 feet on the uh, screen in front of me, wherever I'm, I'm going. I, did you see, um, the Elton John, uh, bio, um, Rocket Man. There we go. Thank. You. Did you see Rocket Luis Man? Aguilar's
2: first contribution in a year and a half of this podcast. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Luis. Yes, uh,
1: I yes. I did, yes. You did. But did you also see Bohemian Rhapsody? I did. Okay. And of the two? In the
2: theater, I, I thought... Bohemian Rhapsody was 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 better, uh, but now I've read so much about how the liberties they took with the, the plot of that movie, and it didn't Why should really that matter. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually not that bothered by that, but it's created enough sort of negativity around that that film that it, it's. Right, well, it... you're, you're. But would you say that's the better movie of the two?
1: That Bohemian Rhapsody's the Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody, movie? No. Absolutely oh, you liked the Elton John one. So
2: I, I I enjoyed both. By the way, I like both. Uh, of them. I
1: I I will leave you with this, and I know you don't tune in for uh, uh, our. <laughs> Our film and TV critique or review, but I saw Bohemian Rhapsody first. Loved it. Uh, the uh, I can't remember the, the actor's name, but uh, he he's he was phenomenal as uh, Freddie Mercury and all that. And then I saw Rocket Man, and I went in not expecting much. It is so much more interesting, and it is a true, almost it's it's almost a a fable. Uh, or a, a a fairy tale. It's incredibly romantic and and uh, so it's it's so much more of a movie. So much so that it makes Bohemian Rhapsody look like a a VH1 docudrama type of thing that they that they have done in the past. And there's nothing against VH1, but that's you get what I'm you get what I'm talking about there. It was it was so much better. And I didn't think I was gonna like it at all. But it was it was magical and it was whimsical and and they just really. It's it's not a traditional bio in that they certainly took liberties, but they made it into. It's just I I don't know how to I don't know how to explain it. I didn't think I was going to like it as much or be affected as much. But anyway, that's uh, uh, that's what happened.
2: I also saw the Joker,
1: which. So uh, I'm on. I'm I'm heading to do that. So we'll we'll yes. save that for uh, um, we'll save that. And for we'll also week.
2: save it just because you mentioned Elton John. Uh, I had a, a fun debate recently about England versus the United States. Which country has produced? better musicians over the last 50 or so years. And we got stuck on an Elton John versus Billy Joel thing, which was sort of an offshoot of that debate, which was was kind of fun. Do you think there's any debate there? Do you think? So uh,
1: while I like the movie, I would much rather listen to Billy Joel than Elton John. Interesting. All right, so
2: so look look forward to that in a future episode. We are gonna delve into that. Yes,
1: and Billy wrote both the music and the words. Not that that should make him better or anything, but eh, I'm just (laughs) saying. All right, so we come to the end of yet another podcast there, and you have all of our uh, limited uh, TV and film knowledge out there. Um, thank you so much for, for tuning in. But at the end of each and every one of these podcasts, we talk about our one big thing. In my State of the Union, I talked about the concept of playoffs, and there are people that love them, and there are people that hate them. Some even at this table. I'm not saying that you, you hate playoffs or anything like that. But for many people, they— with because of what they do in giving that second bite at the apple it's very very difficult for them to appreciate them i appreciate the fact that, and this this happens a lot of times when i'm talking and I, and i readily admit the fact that when it is la cosa nostra when it is our thing and therefore oftentimes it is it is different and unique i tend to gravitate to that and i enjoy that it's not always the same. And it doesn't mean that you cut off your nose to spite your face. It doesn't mean that there aren't practices out there that just because they worked someplace else could actually uh, work here. But I always love the fact that when it comes to our soccer, we think about things and we often, from a practical perspective, do things differently. And I know for a lot of people that drives them crazy uh, because Uh, They feel that either it just shouldn't be done or we are doing something that is being detrimental. I don't think that having playoffs when it comes to Major League Soccer is detrimental or is the reason why people don't look at Major League Soccer in the same way that they look at the EPL or or, or something like that. That's a much bigger conversation and uh, an interesting one to have. But owning and appreciating and valuing the differences that, that we do have. And not just to be different, to be different, but to be different in order to create something that is unique and it is our own. Well, you know, that's that's something to be celebrated. And I'm not saying you have to watch playoffs in any sport or you have to watch M- MLS. But, you know, as was my point in the State of the Union, I love playoffs and I think they make sports better. And I think in this instance, uh, they make a soccer league better in Major League Soccer. And so I hope that they never go away. And I will, as you mentioned, Mossy, I will venture to guess that there's a better chance of others adopting a playoff format than there is of MLS doing away with theirs. All right, Mossy, anything before we go? Uh, Shout out to my one fan in D.C. Hope you enjoyed this (laughs) play. He was, oh my God, he was so adamant. I felt, I almost felt bad for you at a moment, Almost. Uh, Okay, we will see you again next week. We'll be back. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in and listening and watching and doing all the different things. Please subscribe and rate and download and review and do all the things that you do to make this uh, podcast successful. And it is a labor of love. And we're so appreciative of everybody that uh, does all of those things, including your friend there on the streets of uh, D.C. All right, size the day.